Welcome to episode 102 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church for Christ Church. I am uh, here once again with my two uh, friends and co-hosts, Reverend Michael Bauer, Assistant Pastor of Christ Church Presbyterian, and Dr. Gabriel Williams, who is a, a faithful member of Christ Church and also uh, is a professor of physics at the College of Charleston. Great to be with you guys. It's good being here. Good to be here. We are talking about a great subject this afternoon, uh, the subject of the Christian home. Mm. Uh, what could be uh, more uh, relevant uh, mm. to our lives as Christians than to live out our faith, um, not just in Christian worship services and when we're around church family, but in our homes. Yes. Mm. Uh, you are who you are at home, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> we're That's always right. telling our kids that, um, and we tell ourselves that. It's so important to remember, and uh, and so as we think about this um, this subject on the Christian family, I want to uh, begin by reading a quote by Joel Beakey in his wonderful volume uh, called Puritan Theology, and in that he writes that quote the Puritans taught that usefulness in the church is wedded to godliness in the home. Mm. Public holiness stands or falls with private holiness. It is in the home that our spiritual life thrives or fails, yeah. end quote. Now, Joel Beakey's right, and the Puritans were right. Our homes are meant to be places of spiritual flourishing, testimonies of the grace of God at work in our lives and in the lives of our children through the Word and Spirit. They're meant to be places of safety, uh, places of refuge from the wickedness and idolatry of the world. We don't mm -hmm. want to invite all of that into mm -hmm. our homes through our televisions and through our computers and our phones. Our homes are meant to be places of purity and godliness and peace and joy in Christ, a, a context of God-centered conversation and worship. Our homes are meant to be places of order and godly discipline. And Amen. I think we would all agree with that, and yet it's not easy. In fact, it's one of the hardest things, isn't it, as a Christian sure. believer, to have a, a godly home. Uh, why is it important that we're talking about this today? Well, one of the realities of the current world that we live in is that we no longer have a general society that values the home mm -hmm. as it used to be. Yeah. Now, part of this is, as I mentioned, societal. There used to be a time um, before Industrial Revolution where you pictured the home as the center of the economy. Yeah. You pictured the home as the center of where all of the nation's life happened. Mm. Now that we live post-Industrial Revolution, and now that fathers and mothers leave the home to go to work, the home is no longer seen as the central feature of the life of a family. The home is seen today more in a sense of a hotel that we go out to work, we spend 10 plus hours at work, we commute an hour or so to home, we're exhausted, and what do we naturally do? We lay down, go to our couch, go to our screens, go to our TV. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we do at a hotel. Yeah. And so in a sense, it's easy to treat the Christian home in the same way that you treat a hotel when you go on vacation. You go out there, and you use the home to crash. But what the Puritans understood, and what I believe also is clearly reflected in the scriptures, was that the home is not an afterthought. It is central to the raising, yes. 
in the discipleship of children in the home. And it also serves as a way to pass down tradition, family traditions, but also from a biblical uh, discipleship point of view, it is the one of the practical ways in which we pass down the faith, mm-hmm. family to family, um, parent to child, and to their children. It's the home that is the practical incubator to do that. Exactly. And I, I think as well, the home, and it's similar to what you're saying, Gabe, the home is the testing ground or proving ground for, for our growth as Christians. That's right. Um, there is no better way I have found to um, to become sanctified intensely, uh, this this intense uh, uh, proving ground, uh, no, no better way to become sanctified than having a wife and, and children. Um, you will have to grow as a Christian in such close quarters with uh, other people and, and living in those uh, the home with other sinners is Amen. going to um, really test whether or not you believe what you claim to believe as a Christian and, and prove it. Not long ago, the men's Bible study uh, worked their way through the book of Joshua. And uh, in Joshua 24, as he gathers all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summons the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they all presented themselves uh, before uh, the Lord, Joshua declared to them very boldly about what would truly characterize sincerity mm-hmm. as the people of God. And it really uh, is sincerity in the home. That's right. Uh, it says here in Joshua 24, verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That really needs to be the heart of every head of household, Mm -hmm. whether it's a father uh, who is the head of the home or whether it's a single mother who is the head of the home. This really, as difficult as it often is to raise our children, uh, particularly to raise teenage children in these, these days of uh, cultural uh, upheaval, uh, we do need to put our stake in the sand and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's essentially what we want to talk about uh, today on this podcast episode is what it means to have a Christian home. That's right. And so if you think about the most central thing that's associated with a Christian home is that a Christian home glorifies God. And we often in this church speak about that in terms of our commitment to family worship in the home, acknowledging that in our home, the most core feature that distinguishes us from the world is that every day or as much as we can, we dedicate time and space to pray, cry out to God as a family. We sing together the word of God by either going through a Psalter, through a hymn. We read the word of God together. And that is central to both the instruction that we are called in terms of instructing our children in the Lord, but it also sets the tone for the home. Again, going back to what I said before, when you treat the whole when you treat your home like a hotel, there's no consideration that you're living for something beyond your own comfort and pleasure. But when you set your heart and mind to say, this is a house that God will be glorified, that means family worship 
has to be at the core of what you do. Yes, and we see this, uh, don't we, laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, this was a, an important um, aspect of what it means to be a, a, a Christian home, uh, a home that's committed to the Lord. Um, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently mm. to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, so while you know writing things on the gates and and having them on the frontlets of your 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 head, that these are Jewish customs of mm -hmm. the day, not necessary in our day. But the point is there, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, the point of having conversation about the Lord, about uh, openly talking about our relationship with God, and praying and reading Scripture. It's 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 meant to be. Uh, an important part of family life. And that's not just so you've got the informal side there, mm -hmm. which we need in our homes. We need to sort of informally talk about God. It doesn't always need to be formal, but there also should be formal times. Uh, right. Because if you don't have those formal times, there will probably will be less informal times because you're not setting that pattern uh, right. in your home. And so, um, Gabe, you had mentioned a few things that, that happened during family worship, but uh, what are some helpful, just practical points about having regular times of family worship in your home or what some would call family devotions? A few things. I, I'll just you know, go from my own personal experience. When I first uh, when I first understood the command and the exhortation to family worship, the first thing I was taught is to start simple. And so what that meant was at the time, uh, Alexandria was, uh, I think, a year old or so when we started this. And so the expectation is not to assume that a one-year-old is going to sit through a 40-minute sort of session here. So start simple and start sweet and short. So for us, that meant we had five minutes of time. And that five minutes of time meant we prayed and we sung something. And that was the extent of it. And the point was, if you have it starting out to be short in time, that means it's less likely to be forgotten or less likely to just be overlooked. When it's basically set in stone, say 7 p.m., we're going to come together 10 minutes, 5 minutes, depending upon the age of your children, you're much more likely to keep it. The worst thing to be, the worst situation to be in is to have the ambition that you're going to attempt to make a caricature of Puritans where you try to open up a Puritan sermon and you read for 35 minutes to your children from a Puritan sermon and your children are losing it and your <laughs> wife is probably losing it and you're just trying to press through. That's the worst situation you want to be in because in a sense you are not coming together for the sake of worshiping God together. You're trying to prove something to yourself. And you don't want this to be a sense where you're trying to prove your righteousness by picking up the biggest thing you can read. The goal is to worship God as a family. And so that means you want as much as possible to have everyone 
as well engaged as they can. Now and, we you, know. and you consider yeah. the weaknesses yeah, yeah. of your family members. If exactly. you have really small children, you don't want to sort of force them into some, you know, long expository, you know, treatise. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you want to be simple. You want to use children's Bibles. You want to sing children's songs. Mm-hmm. You want to make it fun for them. Uh, I remember when our kids were small, we would we would always sing a psalm or a hymn, mm-hmm. but we would also do a children's song. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Maybe had hand motions or something. It was very, very sweet, and the kids enjoyed that. And um, so, so, and, and we would oftentimes read through a, a children's church history book along with catechism and our Bible reading. And this, again, this only takes, Gabe, just like you said, it only takes two or three minutes to read a little Bible story or read a little church history story. So you, you're not, you know, opening up, um, you know, Tertullian and reading long <laughs> passages uh, from the church fathers. Like, don't try to be too aggressively, overly spiritual there. Mm-hmm. Be practical, right? That's right. The other point I, I often hear this, and uh, and this has come over the years since people have seen us raise our kids here. Because when we first arrived at Christ Church, Alexandra was one, so she's now going to be nine on tomorrow, uh, which is the twenty fourth. So we've been around here for a while, so everyone's seen how we raised our kids, and one of the the comments we get that's a compliment is that our kids apparently know how to sit still in church and pay attention. Well, it's not magical. The reality is that they've been doing family worship now for Alexandra since she was one and our youngest Victoria since she was born. And so the pattern that you set as a young family is going to have many benefits because now Alexandria and Victoria will both come to us if for some reason we're not having friendly worship. So they would say, we've forgotten to do something. And you're right, we did. That's our fault. But that's what happens when you have the pattern established is that they know that the home is, the, the evening is not over until God is worshiped and prayed and praised. And so that's part of why I mentioned at the beginning that if you start this too aggressively and it falls off, the pattern never gets established. If you start small, you can build up over time. And that's what you hope to happen, that as your children grow in their understanding, you can have longer prayers, you can have longer passages to read, you can talk about catechism questions in a little more detail. You get to see the growth of your kids, and that's one of the blessings of doing friendly worship. Yes, and and we will often have visitors coming um, that will express to me or to Pastor Michael, it's just extraordinary to me all the children who are sitting still and listening or even taking notes you know or you know the smallest children maybe doing a uh, coloring uh, something about the sermon you know um, a picture of the bible story or or uh, even kids that are you know pretty young are taking notes even if elementary notes on a sermon and, and they're being trained and that starts in the home and it, it flows over into public worship and the reason why a lot of our visitors are impressed by that is because they have come from situations where children don't worship in mm. public worship. They're in some kind of a children's church, which is sort of uh, maybe a little bit of discipleship, but a lot of games and mm-hmm. this and that. And and in some um, evangelical churches, literally, children will never worship with their parents for the first 18 years of their life. 
They will be yeah. in children's church, and then they'll graduate to junior church, and then they'll go to youth church. And they're never with people from another age group, um, mm-hmm. another demographic. Uh, I, Brothers, I love the fact that in our congregation, a uh, an elderly person will hear a six-year-old singing a psalm. Mm-hmm. And I love that that six-year-old is hearing an elderly person, mm-hmm. sometimes gasping, gasping for breath, singing a psalm or hymn. So you have uh, the, the, the future of the church, as it were, singing, and you have someone who's been faithful uh, long-term in the church mm-hmm. um, right next to them. And uh, I'll never forget uh, when I was at Grace Presbyterian Church in Douglasville, I never forget watching my son Hans when he was four or five uh, during the greeting time running up and giving a hug to this dear elderly man who had just lost his wife. And it was such a precious sight. I could hardly compose myself to do the call to worship. And that's the kind of interaction that we want to see taking place in the life of the church. And so. Uh, why do we say all of this? Because it is not parents. Parents, it is not impossible for your young children to be in the public worship service, to sit still, but it all starts with discipline in the home. And if there needs to be discipline during the service, you're welcome to take the child out and to speak with them and, mm-hmm. and to discipline them and bring them back in, and that sometimes has to happen too. And I think both of you are, are getting at something that's really at the core of, of building a solid Christian home and those patterns that need to be set through daily family worship are um, <clears throat> we're building we're building off of the, the, the foundation or the assumption that these families are going to be in Lord's Day worship each and every week mm-hmm. are going to be in with uh, with the people of God worshiping our triune God uh, each and every week that is um, the real the real foundation of building a Christian home is Sabbath worship Lord's Day worship and that is so central to the, uh, the the Christian home, so that when you are doing this family worship each and every night, uh, this is it's nothing different on Sunday morning, except that it's a little bit longer, and someone else other than Dad is up there uh, in most <laughs> cases uh, is up there uh, uh, leading this worship, right? But we're 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 seeing these things. Our, our children are getting used to. They're able to mm-hmm. sit through these things. It's all because, um, and 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 more central to that is is Lord's Day worship. And, and that's the focus where it needs to be. And the Lord's Day then becomes the high day yes. of the Christian family's week. Yes. That's right. Right. So everything's leading up to that. And after it, you're looking back to it and all the things you learned. And you're looking forward. You're joyfully anticipating the next one. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord's Day becomes the, the day that really is the, the mark of the Christian family. It sets the pattern. It sets the schedule. Now, the this is a challenge, right, in our day because... Most professing believers do not have this on their radar. It, it is the farthest thing from their mind that Sunday is meant to be a day set apart and sanctified for the worship of God and for Christian discipleship. Um, how do we recover that? Well, there are practical guides to it. And what I've learned over the years is that Lord's Day worship starts on Saturday because it means you have to plan very well how your Saturday goes in order for your Lord's Day to actually be, in a sense, 
for you to be engaged yeah. in actual worship. And so, so Gabe, you, you polish your Ferrari on Saturdays, <laughs> not on Sundays. Is that right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, what it does mean is that, you know, for example, when um, <laughs> you take the, the current schedule we have at Christ Church, if you know that you are intending to come to morning prayer at 8.50 in the morning, it means you probably have to wake up at least an hour and a half beforehand. Mm -hmm. That also means you have to go to bed before 10.30 probably for to be well rested. It also means that when you run errands on Saturday, it cannot be at night. It has to be in the morning. And so, kind of as you mentioned, if you say and you believe that the Lord's Day is the high point of the week, the schedule revolves around that. So that means your Saturday becomes planned. It also means your, in some sense, your Friday becomes planned. So if you want to have uh, games and things to play with your kids, you want to kind of spend a long night out doing it, that's not Saturday night you do that. You do that on Friday night, <laughs> typically. So Gabe, real quick, you're a, you're a member of Christ Church. Yes. You're not on staff. You're not an ordained minister. No. Um, and so... You know, some people could look at Pastor Michael and me and say, well, of course you're doing all of these things. You're pastors. I mean, this is your calling. And um, But the Lord's Day is not just for pastors, right? It's for all of God's people. And so tell our listeners, um, our own church members, but those also who, who may be listening in from outside of Christ Church, tell them what your typical Lord's Day looks like uh, related to our schedule here at Christ Church. Sure. So we live about 35 minutes or so away from the building. And so uh, 8.50 in the morning, that means we aim to leave the house at 8.15. So for Alicia and I, that means we're waking up at 6 a.m. actually, which means we're in bed by 10 p.m. <laughs> typically. But we get up at 6 a.m., I shave and I do the rest of my routine. We get the, we already have the girls closed out on Saturday night. That takes way too long to iron and do that on Sunday. Uh, in terms of breakfast, uh, it has to be simple but filling. That gets done basically on Saturday, Saturday evening. Um, we, we come to the Lord, say worship, and we you know spend as much time we can in fellowship with the saints. But I, most people know that we have to get back home and have our nap. So we go back home, take our nap. We we get up get up around three fifteen ish. And then we go back. And so that means we already have our dinner planned. That was from Saturday. We already, again, have clothes laid out. We The kids themselves have their dinners prepared. So that's why they have simple meals. And when you say go Sunday. back, what do you mean go back? So meaning we go back home, we take a nap. We, we get go back, back where after that? <laughs> well, in this case, we're going back to Lord's Day worship in the evening. So we have evening service, but for our kids, uh, we're doing catechism now. So that means... Uh, we leave around 3.50 to have the kids back here around 4.30 p.m. for catechism. Then we have Lord's Day worship. And then one of the things that we're trying to train our girls is that uh, when Lord's Day worship is over, you're still serving in different ways. And so if there's communion in the evening, they're the ones that are going around picking up communion cups often. Um, they see me often sweeping around and helping out the other deacons or the ladies in the kitchen doing work. So the point is, it's a full day and they're trained to know that. And this is actually how I was raised. So we were raised in a very different tradition that didn't have uh, Sabbath piety as a form doctrine. 
But it was understood that Sunday is the Lord's day. That was the, impu- the impulse. Yeah. yeah, it was the impulse. It was natural. And it was very strange to see people who didn't do that. And our kids have that same impression that they see people who more or less treat Sunday as their, you know, their weekend. They kind of lounge around. They don't have that perception. But that's essentially how I was raised. So we, in my tradition, we had church started at uh, 10 a.m. and we went uh, morning and evening service. And so we got home usually around 8 p.m. after morning and evening service were over. So that was normal for me. And it only was later on where I actually had doctrinal reasons why we did that. But in a lot of sense, it's a natural intuitive thing for Christians to do. It's only the recent, you know, I guess, recent era where that's become controversial. Uh, almost every denomination I was aware of as a kid had morning and evening service. Mm-hmm. They had Sunday school and had something else going on in between. It's only, as I mentioned recently, that I've heard people not doing that or weren't raised that way. And so in a lot of ways, what we're doing in some sense is that Elisa and I were raised that way. We're passing that down to our children. Yes. Now they have a theological foundation for that in some sense. But we're passing down mm-hmm. what we experienced and we grew up with. It's also not accidental that Elise and I were raised in a church and we continued in the church. It's also not accidental. That is so beautiful. And think about this. I want our listeners to think about this. Think about all the things that parents want for their children. Mm -hmm. And the question that parents need to ask is, do you want to hand down to them a godly heritage? Mm -hmm. Do you want to hand down to them a godly schedule? Mm -hmm. Or... Is it most important to you that you're handing down to them something else, something that's more attached to this fading evil age? You know, you want your your children to marry well. You want them to have a great education. You want them to have uh, wealth. You want them to, you know, uh, have all of these different things. Do you want them to have a godly heritage? Well, that doesn't just happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've seen the Babylon Bee um, <laughs> Uh, you know, articles that say, uh, you know, has the family looking all distraught, the mother and father, and they say, I don't, we don't understand it. Um, our children no longer go to church. We took them every Christmas and Easter. <laughs> um, and, and so why, why would parents be surprised if their own children walk away from the church when they themselves haven't um, set this kind of God-centered biblical agenda for their home. And again, we're not saying this because any of the three of us do it perfectly or that we along the way hadn't learned it ourselves and been convicted and realized this is the right thing to do. Um, The question is, I think for all of our listeners is, is this the, the, the agenda for your home? Is this the aim of your home to have a godly biblical Christian home? Or are you just going with the flow? Mm-hmm. Going with the cultural flow, as as Gabe so helpfully stated, your your home is just a place to crash and to be entertained and to eat mm-hmm. and to sleep, um, or is it a, a training grounds for godliness um, in all the in all the, the right ways? And none of this, of course, makes anyone right with God, uh, because we do all of these things with fault, and we never do them rightly. We never do them consistently. But it is by the grace of God that we are saved. And this is why Amen. we long to grow and to be faithful in these areas, 
because of gratitude, because we're thankful of what Christ has done for us. And so we want to pass down uh, this faith and heritage, this glorious gospel to our children. And uh, this is exactly what they need more than, uh, than any of the things that the world uh, would offer. Um, just a couple of things as we, uh, as we close. Um, in, do, in Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul gives some clear instruction uh, to uh, both children and parents. And he says in Ephesians 6 verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So what we've been talking about here today is simply raising your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are nurturing them. We are raising them in the Lord. We're teaching them God's promises. We are teaching them that they cannot save themselves, that they need the grace of God. And, and so we're always pointing them uh, to Christ and uh, to His precious Word And so as we wrap up this discussion, uh, let us all remember uh, that out of gratitude in our hearts to God for all that he has done for us in Christ, the promises he's made to us and to our children, we want to raise our children in the, in the nurture, uh, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the way we do that is formally with uh, times of family worship, with uh, Lord's Day observance um, with various activities in the church, being faithful in those things, but also informally, uh, having informal conversations around the dinner table or or going out for walks and bringing up things that are happening in our world today and relating them to the Word of God. That's the kind of, of godly conversation that we want our children to be used to. Um, it shouldn't be awkward for our children to talk about the things of God. And the reason why it often is is because it's awkward oftentimes for adults to do that. Uh, so this is the kind of godly home that we want to see cultivated at Christ Church Presbyterian, and we hope that you will embrace that as members of Christ Church. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion. Uh, we hope you'll be with us next time on Between the Times. Between the Times.